0: Good afternoon. This is Michael Osterlink and I'm speaking with Abel James, author, coach and host of the popular Fat-Burning Man show. Good afternoon, Abel. Good afternoon, Michael. How are you doing? Not bad. Yourself? I'm doing excellent today. Awesome. So not only are you an author and a coach and you have a very popular, and I'd like to hear how popular, because I understand it's a very popular um, uh, podcast show. Let's Jump first into how you got into all the things that now led you to these three activities. What got you into evolutionary and paleo approach and fitness and health and such? Who are you, Abel? <laughs> Who am I? Yeah, well, it's uh, a
1: lifelong journey. Let's see. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Sure. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride uh, and the one that's really started to gain some traction in the past few months. So, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, right now uh, I have a few best-selling books and a really popular podcast and and blog, but this really has been a lifelong journey. I grew up in rural New Hampshire, a town of, you know, like less than a 1,000 people, and uh, it was on an old farm, not a functioning farm anymore, but uh, my dad came from a a large farming family. My brother's an organic farmer, so there was always that that real food and uh, attention to health that was an interest of mine. In addition to that, my mom was uh, and still is actually a nurse practitioner with a focus on alternative health. So I was raised on all sorts of weird tinctures and smelly <laughs> bombs and things like that. So very, I, I got really into uh, you know, a focus on preventative medicine from the beginning. It was kind of indoctrinated into my lifestyle from when I was just a little kid. So a bit I was a vegetarian um, you know on a health kick because I thought it was healthy for uh, for a while off and on for years in high school and then beyond in college and and after that too but I found that I, I even though I was trying to be healthy it wasn't really working out um, so I, I kind of re-examined how all of that was working and once I started kind of dabbling in the fringe and getting out of the conventional wisdom thing when it came to both exercise and nutrition, that's when I really started to get some some results. And so skip ahead to now, that's what I try to coach people to do is, you know, just because something is said to be healthy, whether it be fitness or nutrition or, or anything else, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're on track. Um, so you really need to kind of test what works on your particular body and your situation. And I think that <laughs> the vast majority of what most people think and are pulled by the commercials might not be best for them. So I'm trying to spread the word and help people on their personal journeys.
0: I understand that you, your uh, your education was in um, uh, something around neurosciences and such. Is that accurate? Yeah, psychology and brain science was my focus. And you also have a new book out. Oh, you actually have a few, <laughs> but one of them yeah. specific to that subject is the musical brain. Right. And I'm, I'm curious if you could first tell us a little bit about the musical brain and how you see that fitting into this larger paradigm of health and personal experimentation that yeah. you just uh, elaborated upon. Yeah, absolutely. So that's actually uh, the culmination of what I focused
1: on in college was, uh, you know, obviously I'm a musician as well, so that was an interest of mine. But marrying that to um, where music actually came from, one thing that I was always kind of I thought it was curious that music is this thing that's everywhere, right? It's extraordinarily pervasive. You find it in cars, in elevators, in uh, just pumps into your headphones all day. You you can't really go a day without music. You would have to really just be a hobo out in the woods somewhere, or purposely try to shut yourself in a room without music. <laughs> so it's despite its ubiquity, there's no real clear adaptive function for it, right? Like there, it doesn't really make sense from an evolutionary standpoint that we would evolve to have this, like music. Like, what does music do? And so it was that question that led me to to research exactly that. Like, where did music come from, and uh, why is it so pervasive in society?
0: So that that was the the question behind it anyway. And I can keep going, but <laughs> I'll, I'll refer to your guiding question tease us a little bit. I mean, obviously, we we want to encourage folks to go buy your book, so you don't have to explain the whole book. And actually a link, if you have, you know, when you're done explaining a little bit more about your book, if you have a a link, a website that people can go and purchase the book, please let us know. But tell us a little bit more about what you discovered in your research and your writing. Okay, so, what I learned is that there isn't a whole lot of research
1: out there, but people have been asking this question for a long time. One of the people who I studied in depth on this was uh, was Darwin actually, and it turns out that he wasn't. It <laughs> Science today proves that his theories about where where music came from uh, weren't spot on. You know, there are one thing that comes up a lot in the research is songbirds and the way that they process music. And, and obviously, it sounds like music when you hear the bird song of a particular bird. But the issue is they don't, from what we can tell, anyway they don't process music in the same way that we do. What happens is that there's a really fascinating thing where uh, animals that that produce something that seems musical to us tend to process music as being, in the terms of absolute pitches, right? So if you're looking at a piano keyboard, they don't see the distance between the notes and the melody. They just see the notes and kind of like plunk them down there uh, if you imagine like a battleship on a keyboard, right? So it's, it's kind of like a random, um, they're, they're pinpointing random notes um, that tend to have tonality. Now, it's different with humans because they tend to process the differences in pitches uh, on a relative scale, and that's called relative pitch. And so what that means is that when you hear a melody, you're you're imagining it in your mind as going either up or down. And so you you create meaning out of it in the same way. And here's a big hint. (laughs) In the same way that I'm talking right now, my tonality is going up and down, right, when I speak. And based on that tonality, you can tell um, at a visceral level whether I'm happy or sad. There's emotion connected to the relative nature of the tones going up and down. There's also um, beats within the language of my voice, whether I'm singing or speaking, you can hear uh, the different pauses and the prolonged notes of what I'm saying. And so yeah, I guess the short answer is that there are many theories about where music comes from, but the ones that I support tend to involve uh, music uh, co-opting similar neural pathways as language. And so when you hear, say, a uh, a violin, it's akin to, it is, from your brain, brain's perspective anyway, it's akin to hearing a super expressive voice, you know, kind of like a shrill scream. And so your brain and body uh, physiologically responds with um, kind of an emotional connection
0: to what you think that sound might indicate.
1: Does that make sense?
0: It actually does, and it leads me to a question about using music to alter consciousness, because it mm-hmm. seems to me that we have a history as a species of various cultures using music for those purposes, whether it's to calm one down, to to excite one, or to specifically alter consciousness to access transpersonal states and such, from chanting and and things like that. Right. Hmm. Yeah. And, and well, you, you've also off, uh, oh, Before we go on to your, your next book, yep. uh, tell us how we can find your first one, The Musical Brain. Sure. The easiest way to find it, I mean, you can go to... Uh, abeljames.com
1: and it's there but I would say that the direct way to find me is if you want to buy a book is on uh, is on Amazon. You just type in Abel James and that's A-C-E-L and uh, both of the books that are on there will pop right up. Uh, so that one's called The Musical Brain and uh, the other one is, is Introduction to Paleo Diet.
0: Well, okay. that's a good segue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell us about before you actually tell us about the book, the introduction of the paleo diet, tell us how you yeah. went from um, a vegetarian diet, explored other options, and then landed on what you might call a paleo diet today.
1: Okay. Well, I
0: guess the short answer is that
1: I remember the
0: the last time that I was a vegetarian, I
1: uh, I realized that I wasn't as uh, I wasn't living an optimal existence there. You know, there are things that happen as you get older where it's like, is your body slowing down? You know, like, why am I not forming as well as I should? I was looking at myself in the mirror, and I'm just like, my face was kind of puffy. I was retaining water, and I could tell. So I'm like, why is this happening? Um, but the short answer is <laughs> I was working out, and I was lifting, and I finished, and I was just like, I need a steak right now. <laughs> I haven't had a steak <laughs> in years, but I just decided I ate it, and then... I felt like a champ afterwards. I felt great, and I'm like, there must be something to this. Uh, and, and so I kind of looked more into reexamining my relationship with food, and I always tried to um, to prioritize what was healthy, but the problem was my barometer of what was healthy was incorrect. So I, where I formerly was focusing on lots of healthy whole grains and healthy, in and quotes, I, when I started to whittle those down, um, I didn't totally cut them out right away, but when I started to eat less of them, I, I experienced like an improvement in all these things that I didn't think would be connected. So uh, things like sleeping better, dry scalp, the water retention, all these things seemed to go away. So when I stopped being afraid of meat and uh, started being afraid of, of grains and simple carbs, that's when I really started experiencing some, some good effects of all
0: that. And so tell us about your book, The Introduction to the Paleo Diet. What would our listeners learn by reading it?
1: So it's interesting because the word paleo is a little bit polarizing.
0: Um,
1: but the reason I, I I call it that is because that's really what it's what it's referred to these days as, as being. So I, can, I guess that probably sounds a little bit obtuse. But basically what I found is, is going back into the, the research and the data is that what paleo is today is very similar to what bodybuilders have been doing for decades, you know, and since they're in the fridge, they're not really afraid of trying all these crazy things and seeing what works on them kind of equals one experiment. But when you have so many of them doing these similar things um, like reducing carbs or or controlling carbs or cycling them uh, and focusing on real foods, you know, lots of, of fibrous vegetables, being careful, uh, with your starches or just eating them post-workout, incorporating things like fasting. All of this has been in kind of like elite performance circles for a long time. It's been in, uh, you know, fitness models know all about carb cycling and water retention and, and how to kind of hack that. But when you marry that with a focus on whole food, that's kind of what paleo has become today. And so I when I put this out, I tried to make it. I know that there are lots of books out there that focus on paleo and primal lifestyles, and you know, I, I've met or hung out with a lot of the authors, and some are awesome, and uh, some are a little bit long and intimidating for folks. What I found is that when I when I polled my uh, listeners on my podcast, as well as um, on my list, a lot of them said, "I just want a simple guy to get started." And so, what I aim to do is with this book, and one of the reasons it's done so well is that it's short. It's to the point. In fact, I, I whittle it down to just paleo in a page. So you can, um, you can put it on your refrigerator <laughs> and just be like, okay, this is like what I should eat, this is what I shouldn't eat, and this is how I should exercise. Um, and in the book itself, I include some recipes as well as tons of resources to get people started. You know, if, if they want to get into this sort of paleo primal lifestyle or looking into ancestral health, it's, I want it to be a
0: springboard. Um, and, and so that's, I think, it's done pretty well at doing that. Yeah, it, it's interesting to look at what's appropriate for us as a species to eat based on our evolutionary past versus what yeah. Madison Avenue and the federal government and various associations of so-called experts tell you to eat. Oh, Seems yeah. So there's a divergent opinion. <laughs> there absolutely is. Yeah, and the science though seems to be supporting the, the more paleo primal approach to eating and nutrition.
1: You know, I think so, but it, it all comes down to what works for you. And I can say that um for me and for the vast majority of people who I've coached or worked with, it's that's the one that tends to work best. And I think the reason for that is that by design it's an anti inflammatory diet. Right? And so you don't have to just pound on tons of meat every day, and that's not really what it is. That's what people imagine when they're eating like a caveman. But what it is is it's eating things that are going to nourish your body and avoiding things that are going to hurt your body. That's that's really what it comes down to. Um, but there are little things like dairy is a good example. They they work fine for some people, and they're terrible for others. So it's uh, there's no perfect diet for everyone, but I think this is the best uh, Framework to start with anyway, and and start seeing it works uh,
0: on your own body when you work as a coach, uh, what are your thoughts on nutritional supplements besides a whole foods diet? Yeah, it would be great if we
1: still lived in a world where vegetables contained all of the nutrients they are supposed to and the same thing with meat and all that, but just the way that the world is today it's a good idea to supplement with with certain vitamins and minerals that. You may be deficient, in, and the, the principal ones that, you know, I use myself are uh, vitamin D, especially if I'm not getting enough sun, magnesium, selenium is a good one. Uh, and, and, and there's just kind of – omega-3 is obviously a, a big one that people should focus on, but that's just – it opens up a, a big uh, – it's, it's an issue because there are so many supplements out there. Um, not all of them are great. Some of the companies selling them and <laughs> buying them up are – in it to make money instead of actually nourish you. So it is kind of a minefield when you're looking for the best supplements to take, especially when you're talking about synthetics and that sort of thing. So it's the debate rages on, but I think it's a good idea to incorporate responsibly uh, some some uh, synthetic nutrition and, and minerals
0: into your diet. Well, they say that diet and nutrition is is at least eighty percent of living a healthy, happy life. Let's jump into some of the other uh, aspects of that, which would be the fitness side of things, because I know you Mm -hmm. also have a program, the Lean Body Systems Manual, for both men and women. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell us a little bit about your ideas around fitness and how you work with your clients. Yeah.
1: I I tend to... Most people don't believe when I say that the vast majority of your body composition uh, comes from what you eat, not what you do to it. And... (laughs) It's a shame that it's called, you know, people call me a fitness guy, but I never go to the gym. You know, they just, like, assume that I'm, that I'm working out all the time or a gym rat, and, and uh, it's just not the case. What I do recommend to people uh, incorporate into their lives is, is some level of activity. Um, and there's a good way to do it and there's a bad way to do it. There's a difference between, actually, There's I just read a great post from, uh, from Brad Peon who wrote Eat Sop Eat. Um, he, he actually posted it over on ZenHabits.net, and it's about the difference between obsessing over something and being dedicated to something, right? And so the relationship with exercise and activity that I that I try to encourage among the people who I coach and in my books and all that is that you should find something that you should that you enjoy, and then you should do it. And um, that might sound like an oversimplification, but if you don't enjoy being on a treadmill for four hours a day and why would you ever do it you're going to burn out and you're going to hate it and then you're going to totally stop exercising and i see that happen far too often so the best way to incorporate fitness or activity into your life is to find uh, something that you love doing or and that might mean like trying new things you might have never known that you loved to ski until you went skiing right or uh or swimming, or anything like that. Um, one thing that I do in terms of performance its really important, to, even for women, or maybe especially for women, to lift heavy weights. Um, obviously, you learn how to lift correctly before you incorporate that into your routine. Uh, lifting heavy weights is really important, and then uh, I also really emphasize high-intensity interval training uh, and sprints and that sort of thing. And walking is, in, is, is like, the best. You can you discuss this in the Lean
0: Body Systems Manual for Men and Women in greater detail? Oh, yeah, totally. Cool. And uh, what are your thoughts on sleep and stress reduction? Two separate questions. One of the questions I get a lot from people
1: is that they have lost, you know, 40 pounds or something like that doing all of these principles, but they can't lose the last 10 to 15 pounds. And that's what I say is that those things are so often overlooked. And if you are on a treadmill, you know, for four hours a day, even for one hour a day, and that means that you have to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to do it, I suggest that you don't because you're sacrificing sleep and you're stressing yourself out. And those are the things. Actually, it's, it's so important to focus on hormones and the way that your body is working than, uh, than exercising. So I say always Try to get as much sleep as you can um, in your optimal level. So if it's eight hours, if that's where you function the best, always emphasize uh, and prioritize getting that. In terms of reducing stress, that's kind of a different issue, and it's a little bit more ephemeral, right? It's not something that people just know how to reduce stress, and I am totally guilty of this as well. I, I should learn how to meditate better and do all these other things to reduce stress, but... I do know that when I play music, for example, when I when I play guitar or sing, when I go for a run, um, when I take a minute and turn off my computer, all of these things ratchet it down a little bit and allow me to get to a place where I'm less stressed than I otherwise would be. And so I suggest that everyone find that thing for them um, that does a similar thing. And I think music is a great example of that. That's always been, you know, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning the, the original reason that I started playing music so much is that when I was going through my, uh, my childhood and my teens, I was going through some pretty rough stuff and being a guy, you don't, you're not encouraged to really, uh, especially a teenage guy display any sort of emotion in an outward way. And so the only way I could cope, what was going on was to shut myself in my room and just play guitar until I cried. That was the only way I could do it. And so it's like this emotional release. And I think a huge, um, it helps with stress and that sort of thing too. So everyone should find that thing. And I have a good list of,
0: uh, how you can get started with that too on my uh, blog. Well, you know, I'm a big fan of your podcast, the fat burning man show but uh, I've not had the opportunity to listen to your music. Is it available online? Yeah, you can
1: find it at ablejames.com.
0: Uh, and it's. I haven't updated that for a while.
1: I have a YouTube channel. You can type in uh, Abel James on there and you'll find it. But, yeah, it's it's like blues, rock. I play guitar and sing mostly, but, um, you know, saxophone, piano, and a bunch of other instruments, too. And right now I'm actually focusing a lot on the health stuff, but I'm about to take... Road trip up north, and I plan to play a lot more music on that, and write some new tunes. So it's it's <laughs> fun <laughs> cool. living the double life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, up north from where? Where are you located? So I'm in Austin, Texas, right now. I grew up in, and I've been here for years, but I grew up in New Hampshire, so that's where I'm going back to. It's going to be my uh, my grandmother's 89th birthday this year. So we're going to go oh, nice. there. Oh, nice.
0: Yeah, very nice. Very cool. Well, um tell us a little about your your podcast. Yeah, the, it's very popular, the Fat Burning Man Show. Um I know you you interview a lot of really interesting people. So tell us a little bit about that show and how popular it is.
1: Sure. Uh we're on track for a million listens this year, which is crazy to me. <laughs> it's uh I started it, you know, it's it's just me at my desk. I started it up in January. And it's been very, It's been a wonderful experience because the way I see it is that uh, the health and health care in this, this country and beyond international, it's falling apart, and we need to change what we're doing. And I think the answer really is uh, is preventative lifestyle choices. And so, you know, as much as people might think that they're doing this to get a six-pack or big muscles or to get a flat belly or something like that, my real message is, are deeper. So that might be the hook, you know, like it improves your performance or something like that. But in the end, my secret is that that's not really my message. My message is that we all need to help each other. Like when I, when I see oh, uh, children who are like a hundred pounds overweight, it kills me, you know, and it's getting worse, not better. So we need to do everything we can to help improve that situation. So I try to get people on the podcast um, who are, doing it already, um, who have a, a solid following of people and, and a concrete message and are trying to improve the world. And so I think the way that I do it is just um, kind of like the way that you're doing it, Michael, is, is a relaxed conversation instead of just like rattling through a bunch of boring interview questions. I try to make it, uh, I try to humanize the whole process and people seem to have really responded to that. And it's been really cool, this community, you know, especially in ancestral health, but Overall, in kind of nutrition and fitness, everyone is very communal and uh, and open to like the people who I ask to be on the show, They're pretty much just like cool, yeah, I'll, I'll do it, <laughs> even if they're a total big deal, you know, like New York Times bestsellers, They're just like yeah, that's, that sounds great. Let's do it on Wednesday. And so yeah, it's been an awesome experience. I started from zero listeners to uh, now it's it's uh, about a hundred thousand a month. It's big, and it's harrowing a little bit, but it's just me at my desk,
0: <laughs> so it's, it's a lot of fun. Good for you. Can you give us uh, some of the names of people that you've interviewed? Oh, yeah. Um, Dr. William Davis
1: was a real popular one, and he is, uh, he's is he got the best Casey Kasem voice. <laughs> he wrote Wheat Valley, which is a New York Times bestseller, and uh, yeah, actually, my parents, they're not real technologized, so I they asked me which one they should listen to, and I said that that's the one. They listened to it and they loved it. So I think that's something that, you know, if if you're young, if you're old, if you're already established, then you're totally going to like it because it reaffirms what you already think um, and and gives some scientific basis behind that. And then if you're just kind of dabbling in it, then you're just like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't focus on eating whole wheat every single day. So that's that's a good one to start with. And then some of the other people, you know, Rob Wolf, Mark Sisson, lots of people familiar in this space. I'm having uh, Isabel from Beyond Diet on. Uh, I'm actually interviewing her tomorrow. Uh, we have Mark from Seal Fit. I'm going to put that out on Friday, so that's coming right up. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for <laughs> putting us together. That's one of the coolest things too. Is a lot of my listeners send me ideas for people they have on the show, so that makes my job a lot easier. So, a uh, few folks out there, if you do have any ideas of who to have on the show next, feel free to just shoot me an email. I was looking for it.
0: Well actually that's a great great thing. So what is your email? And uh, one more time, give us your web address. Yeah, my email is able at fatburningman.com, dot com, A D
1: E L. Um and fatburningman.com, dot com, all one word, is uh is my home for the diet and fitness stuff online. Um if if you are looking at the books, um you can just hop on over to Amazon. But yeah, check out my blog. I always love hearing from you guys. So the easiest way is, is just to sign up for my email list and hit reply because I read all the emails I get from there, um, even if it is a heap of them.
0: So <laughs> I can't always reply, but I, I do promise to read every three one. Awesome. Well, Abel James, thank you so much for joining us in this conversation. Uh, sounds like you're doing amazing work. I'm a big, big, strong supporter of your work and I really enjoy your, your podcast. So keep up the great work. Thanks a lot, Michael.
1: I I really appreciate you having me on.